welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, a couple of weeks ago, as you may know, we started a series called Conversions. It's a series that I find myself pretty excited about and think is important. During these weeks, we're talking about some of the ways Christians need the Holy Spirit's ongoing work of conversion in their lives and in their character. Or to say it less tactfully and a bit more directly, in this series we are challenging and confronting the ways that Christian people think and act and speak and respond unchristianly. We're trying to go at that in this series. We're trying to think about and talk about ways that we as Christians have sort of assimilated certain things into our lives and character that are not Christian. So this series is about calling out what we might call the character pandemic that has infected American Christians for far too long. A disconnect, in other words, between our claim to be Christ followers and how we actually think about issues and process differences we may have with others and deal with conflict we may have with others and how we handle not getting what we want. This disconnect between these proclamations and professions to be a Christ follower and then on the other hand, this way that we live that does not reflect one who follows Christ. So this character pandemic, as I'm calling it, is what Gandhi was getting at in his memorable phrase from so long ago when he said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. You know this, our nation is pulsating with tension these days. It's boiling with anger. So a question is, what does an authentic Christian witness look like during these volatile times in which we live? Are we as Christ followers adding to the chaos by playing the same game, using the same means as everyone else? Or are we condemning the chaos from sort of a judgmental distance? Or are we demonstrating an alternative to the chaos by virtue of who we are? and by virtue of how we are? Are we putting the way of the kingdom of Jesus on display by how we relate to each other and how we relate to the world? In week one of this series, we talked about converting from my gospel to the gospel. Last week, we talked about converting from being people who have to have answers to being people who are content to live with the questions. And today we are talking about converting from learning about the Bible to living out the Bible. See, it is possible to read the Bible every day, study it fervently on a regular basis, memorize it diligently, know it really well, but the whole experience is dead. The Bible is read But God is not encountered because we are reading for knowledge instead of reading to know in an intimate way. We're reading to be informed, we might say, instead of to be transformed. Here's kind of a silly example that hopefully makes the point. I can study my wife, Julie. 
I can learn all about her. I can inspect the color of her hair. I can look at the shape and inspect the color of her eyes. I can learn her quirks. I can understand the different inflections in her voice. I can learn about her likes and her dislikes. I can describe her to you. I could even be something of an expert on Julie, but still not know her. So I can know about her, but still not actually know her. And this is what we're talking about today. So let's begin by thinking about the work of pondering the Bible. James captures the distinction between learning about the Bible and living it in this little phrase right at the beginning of the passage I read where he says, take note of this. Don't hurry past this. Slow down. Less is more. Take note of this. Write this down, he's saying. Don't skip by this. Take note of this. It's as though James is inviting us to set aside time and savor what he is about to say. And Jesus used a similar phrase when he was talking and teaching to large crowds. He would sometimes finish a teaching, and there's this massive crowd of people, and after he was done teaching, he would say, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's kind of an odd thing to say to a bunch of people, all of whom, or most of whom, one would think, would have ears. But Jesus knew that a good percentage of those listening to him had not heard him. And maybe that's the norm. The norm is to listen, but instead of hearing, we're sorting. The norm is for things to go in one ear and out the other ear, especially those things that don't align with what we want. So as we think of converting from learning the Bible to living it out, this idea of pondering becomes pretty important. Slowing down. Less is more. Soaking in the scripture. Letting it sort of get down into us and shape us. So this verse we're going to come back to many times. James 1 and verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. I would suggest these are words every single Christian who is interested in being faithful to Jesus during these challenging times, every single Christian needs to sit down in these words, soak them in, soak them in, and seek to live them out. These are words from God to every Christian who's interested in being faithful to Jesus during these volatile times. My dear brothers and sisters, James says, take note of this. Write this down. Don't forget this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Think of the wisdom packed into this one verse. Talk about living out the Bible. We should stop right now. End this pray and just leave and go do this. Go do it for a week and next week get back together and in all sorts of ways tell stories. Here's how I sought to live that out this week. Such timely wisdom. 
And yet this was written around the year 60 AD. You imagine that? Some 30 years after Jesus ascended to the Father, 1,960 years ago, this was written. But it is still incredibly potent and powerful to those of us who profess to follow Jesus, especially in these chaotic and volatile times. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is God's wisdom for us during this contentious presidential election season where everybody wants their guy to win to save our country from certain disaster. And you know, as I do, anger, there's that word James mentioned, anger is right at the surface of this election. It's just boiling. People today are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Watch Fox News. Watch CNN. Watch MSNBC, and you will see how anger is marketed by news outlets to make money. Anger sells. Fighting sells. Name-calling sells. And Christian people have become frighteningly good at justifying their anger. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is also transformative wisdom when we encounter those who are different than we are in whatever way. Instead of criticisms lobbed at them, Instead of these premature, from-a-distance conclusions, we see someone, we hear someone, we know a little bit about someone, boom, 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 tie it up, put a bow around it, that's who that person is. Instead of that, how about slow to speak, quick to listen? Who is this other person? What makes them tick? Where are they broken? What disappointments have shaped them? The single verse in James is God's wisdom when we feel like lobbing critiques and judgment at others. This is also relational wisdom that changes the way we interact with those we live with. Think about this. Just think about putting this, like painting it on your wall, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And obviously this verse has profound implications for what we say on social media these days and how we say it and how we respond to what others say. Pondering the Bible to let it sink in, to let it take hold, to let it transform. Just less is more. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So let's go to part two. You can remain seated for this one. I'm going to read uh, this time from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. He writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
So secondly, I want to talk about the danger of learning the Bible. Strange way to put it. There is certainly the danger some Christians face of ignoring the Bible. It's kind of an odd thing. Profess to be a follower of Jesus, profess to be Christian, and here is this book given to us to help us in that journey. And we just have to say it, the danger that some Christians face is that they basically ignore what the Bible says. They, they just, it's not part of their regular interaction and they don't encounter it on a regular basis. They may infrequently engage with it as a source of wisdom in their everyday lives and statistics consistently bear this out as a legitimate issue and perhaps a reason for the lack of conversion amongst Christians. But today, I wanna camp on a different danger, perhaps uh, an even more threatening danger certainly a less obvious danger. It's the danger of learning the Bible or of learning about the Bible. Robert Mulholland in a book called Shaped by the Word, this quote is in your app if you want to follow along. It's worth looking at. He writes this, we have a deeply ingrained way of reading in which we are the masters of the material we read. We come to a text with our own agenda firmly in place perhaps not consciously, but usually subconsciously. If what we start to read does not fairly quickly begin to adapt itself to our own agenda, we usually lay it aside and look for something that does. Thus, our general mode of reading is to perceive the text as an object out there over which we have control. We control our approach to the text. We control our interaction with the text. We control the impact of the text on our lives. Just pause on that. That's something we should reread, think about. See, this has to do with our approach to the Bible, our posture when we come to it. This is getting right down into what Hebrews 4 describes as the word of God dividing bone and marrow, separating soul and spirit. In other words, penetrating down into the very deep places within us. Our posture when reading it, whether we are coming to it open, what is this saying to me? What is God saying to me here? Or we're coming to it with an agenda and we're trying to find things in the Bible that reinforce this agenda. Let me give you an example, back to the verse we're looking at. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This would be an example of bringing our own agenda to this and not being open to it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yeah, that one is hard for me because I'm a type A personality and I like to talk. That would be kind of just shoving that aside. Here's another way that we bring our agenda to it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yeah, my spouse really needs to work on that one. Or how about this? Most people that you just interact with agree that anger and tension continue to rise in our nation around the election, around the virus, and for various other reasons. Most people would say, yeah, there is an anger level in our nation that is rising. And yet at the same time, most people, many people, are also quick to point out, quote, I personally don't struggle with anger or some version of that. 
So the question is, where's all the anger coming from then? If it's rising, but nobody wants to say, well, I'm angry, where's it coming from? And again, you see how we're quick to find ways around it and to make ourselves the exception to it. And all of this highlights, again, the issue of our posture when we're engaging with the Bible. Are we shaping it to fit us, or is it shaping us to fit it? James reminds us of the purpose of Scripture when he says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And again, back to the purpose of Scripture when he says in verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He reminds us of the purpose or the goal of Scripture when he says in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The purpose or the goal then, according to James, is to live out the Scripture, not just learn about it. The goal is to let the Bible cultivate in us, quote, the righteousness that God desires, is James's phrase. It involves abiding in his phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. That's a strange combination of ideas. A law that gives freedom. James says those who live out the scriptures will be blessed, important word, in what they do. So the purpose or the goal of the Bible is found in ideas like righteousness, freedom, blessing, wisdom. I want to stay at this for a second. When we step back and look at the big picture of the whole Bible, what is the Bible about? What is it trying to say and depict and do? It certainly has things to say to me personally and to you personally, but the story of the Bible is far greater and far grander in that it chronicles God's ongoing work to rescue, renew, reconcile, rebuild, and restore all things, all people, and all creation to the way they were intended to be in the first place. You miss this, and the road leads to the wrong place. The Bible is the story of God making people and the world right again. Romans 8.18 and what follows in the verses after that, Paul talks about the whole creation, and this is the word he uses, groaning for the fullness of redemption and reconciliation and restoration. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God is reconciling all things to himself. In Isaiah 55, we read about this glorious invitation to come to God and feast on his delicacies and delight in his goodness and experience his peace and his shalom so to finally and at last really live now and forever. And we could go on and on about the thread of God's good and restorative work that runs from Genesis to Revelation. His work of redemption and healing and restoration 
of all things. And this is the grand narrative of the Bible. This is the big picture of the Bible. And the purpose or the goal of Scripture then is to show us the way to healing and redemption and restoration. And the Bible shows us this through its many stories and teachings and prophecies and letters. And it shows us this so we know how to live out James's phrase, the righteousness of God, right now and then on into forever. See, in the Bible, God shows us the way we were designed to live. Do you get that? In the Bible, God shows you the way you were originally designed to live in this world. He shows us what life in his kingdom looks like for real human beings in their everyday lives. He shows us what the righteousness of God looks like in the human heart and in our relationships and during trials and difficulties we go through and when we experience disappointments and when the pressure's on and the stress is rising, the Bible shows us what the righteousness of God looks like in all these areas. So the Bible is not a rule book, though there are within it some rules. The Bible is not a list of prohibitions. It's not this random collection of do's and don'ts designed to squelch our pleasure, trigger our guilt, and stifle our joy. It's not that at all. The Bible is God's story of rescue and redemption. And along the way, as we engage with Scripture, we discover wisdom, God's wisdom, to live the way he intended us to live. Wisdom to manifest the righteousness he desires, which becomes the alternative to the way things are in the world right now. So the danger of just learning the Bible in the way we typically think of learning or studying it or memorizing it or conquering it or getting through it is that we mistakenly think that by cramming it into our heads, it will just automatically flow out our lives and change us. But far too often, learning the Bible does not change us. It does not produce the righteousness God desires in the way that we typically approach learning it. The righteousness that God desires, one way, what does that mean? One way to think of it is in Galatians 5. The righteousness that God desires is the person who is growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So again, James' words go to the real heart of the matter. Do not merely listen to the word and this phrase, haunting phrase, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Stung by that phrase. Merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You see where this is going. This is going to reading it, but not being conformed by it. Hearing it, but not being shaped by it. Robert Mulholland wrote, the goal is not to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through 
us. Get it into our DNA. Ponder it. Mull it over. Live it. James uses really strong language. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. See, the deception is to think listening to it or reading it or studying it or listening to some gray-haired dude talk about it is somehow the point. But the point, as James says, is to do what it says. So back to the world in which we're actually living right now. A world of tension. A world of animosity. A world where anger is rising. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This isn't a tip. This isn't just good advice to follow. This isn't a slogan. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's not that. This is God's wisdom. So we experience his kingdom and his goodness, and we live the way he originally intended us to live. And anger, which is often ignited and inflamed by a plethora of words. Think of any relational context. Is it not the case that oftentimes anger rises as the word count rises? So here's the thing. The beauty of God's wisdom is that it is proved to be true when we live it out in real life. So personal example, last couple of days, Julie and I opted to ditch the wisdom of James 1.19. And instead, for the last couple of days, she and I have been living out this principle with each other. Be slow to listen, be quick to speak, and be quick to get angry. So we decided to try that and see how it went. We didn't actually decide. We ended up just doing that and then looked back on it and said, hmm, that's what we've been living out. Yeah, I guess we could call it Mike 119 instead of James 119. So we've been trying that, and we found in the last 48 hours, it's not the better way. It's actually the destructive way. You see the point? Wisdom is proved by action. So you say, well, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Try it, and then try the opposite, and see which one has the texture and the quality and the feel of wisdom. See which one makes you feel more fully alive. The one where you're quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, or the one where you're slow to listen, quick to speak and quick to get angry. Wisdom from God is proved in real life. So we experience the wisdom of God and we prove it by living it out and by trying it. So that brings us to the last part of this. And this is kind of the practical part. The last little scripture reading I want to get to is the last part of James chapter 1 that we're looking at. And it's verse, I'm going to just read verse uh, 25 and a part of, and 26. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. 
Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Again, I hope this is just intersecting with practical reality right now in the world we're living. Let's talk about the priority then of living the Bible. The book of James is sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it's called this because it has a similar feel and a similar focus as the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Both James and Proverbs are full of practical wisdom like what we've been talking about in verse 19, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Both James and the book of Proverbs share all sorts of common themes, and one such theme, I just read it in James 1, is the relationship between our words and our hearts. Both books, James and Proverbs, say over and over and over again that what we say and how we say it flows from who we are in our inner being and who we are becoming. Our words don't just come out of nowhere. They're not just on the spot. The Bible tells us in James and in Proverbs that our words and our reactions and our criticisms and our judgments and our encouragements bubble up from deep within and overflow out of our mouths. In other words, our words represent the fruit of who we are. And this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 12 and verse 34. Very succinctly, he said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Uh, just again, don't need really much else. The heart speaks what the mouth is full of. And this all drives home the point once more, I think we as Christians need to be converted from just knowing the Bible and learning about the Bible and studying the Bible to living it out. The Bible was never intended to be a weapon we draw when we need it. It was never intended to be a textbook we read and study to conquer its information. The Bible is intended to shape us into Christ-like people. When we live out the teaching of the Bible in everyday life, we demonstrate to the world a different way of living, a better way of living. We show others a life of goodness and blessing, and this is what people are searching for these days. What they think they're searching for is a president who will fix everything. That's not what they're searching for. They think that's what they're searching for. What they're searching for is a life of goodness and fullness and blessing. They may not know this is what they're searching for, but they're searching for a life of goodness and blessing, and it is the responsibility and calling of Christians and of the church to manifest this goodness and this blessing in this fractured world. So we have an exercise that we'd like to encourage you to engage in this week. It really kind of jumps right out of James 1.25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it will be blessed in what they do. We want to see if this is true. We are going to actually engage, and I hope you'll participate, in an exercise for the next week to see if the wisdom of God is actually true and if it plays out in real life and produces blessing and righteousness and goodness. We want to see 
if his wisdom is true. So you got an index card when you came in. It's a little blue index card. I'd encourage you to take that out. It's got a verse on it. And if you don't have one of these, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. Are someone in the back there, Sheila? Our hope is that everybody will have one of these. And here's what we did is we went through the book of Proverbs, since James is the New Testament uh, version of Proverbs, we went through the book of Proverbs and picked, I don't know what the number was, 52, something like that, 53. I wanted 50, but Cody preferred an odd number, 53 or 49. I don't remember what it was. But so we picked these verses, wrote them on cards, and you got one when you walked in. It was just a, you could call it a random handout. But the other thought, like we did with the questions last week, was a sense of we're going to trust the Spirit of God to make the verse you have have some meaning to you, have some relevance to you, be something that intersects with your life. Now, the verse you have probably has something to do with words or with anger or with the tongue because there's a lot of that in the book of James and there's a lot of that in the book of Proverbs. Many of the verses chosen are connected to this theme. So before the service, I asked Sheila, I said, hey, get me one of those cards because I want to have one uh, to live with this week and I want to practice this exercise. So she said, she went and grabbed one, she gave it to me and she said, I didn't look at this, I have no idea what's on it. I turned, I looked at it, it's Proverbs 15, 18 and it says a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Now, Sheila lied to me. She went through them and said, oh, he needs that one. And then she gave it to me. That's a great verse for me. A patient, a one who is patient calms a quarrel. Now, think about that in this world where you go. Some of you may have that same one. Where you go, whether it's at home or out in the world, imagine if for one week this was the Bible you were going to live out. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. We probably all have enough experience with that. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So what would it look like to live patiently this week, to go into tough situations asking God to cultivate patience and see if, in fact, patience diffuses a quarrel, a conflict. This is what looking intently means. We want to encourage you this week to look intently into whatever verse you have, to ponder it. Don't hurry through it. I would even encourage you to not read anything else in the Bible this week. Don't fill your head with it. Let this be the one thing that you're going to live out this week. Pray for clarity on what it means. You might want to look it up in a different translation. You might want to use a different translation. But pray for ways to live this out this week. And the hope is to keep this in front of you all week long. Keep this in front of you. Now, if I'd have had this a couple days ago, Julie and I might have done a little better the last 48 hours. You realize, as I do, that there's busyness. We're all feeling the busyness. There's a hurriedness to life. There's a sense of being rushed, being frantic, being fragmented. 
this kind of idea probably is, you go, yeah, I get that. And you realize that that pulls us away from living any of this stuff out. What that causes us to do is it causes us to pick up our life with God and stick it over here in this slot and then go live our regular life. And then every now and then we go back and open the little door in the slot. And, oh, yeah, that's in there too. Shut the door and go live. And sometimes that goes like this. On Sunday we open the door. Hey, how you doing in there? Yeah, I got a spiritual life. That's cool. Shut it. And then we go live. And then come back the following Sunday. You get the point. We want to come against that. We're absolutely inundated with news and TV and iPads and all sorts of noise from all sorts of sources. So how about looking intently at the verse in your hand and simply asking God each day and many times during the day, help me live this out and discover how wise you are. I want to invite you to uh, pause with me. Jordan, you guys can come up. And here's what we're going to do. Recognizing that there's a sense of what's God saying to us in this verse. I'd like for you in the next few minutes to simply read the verse you have. Resist the temptation of kind of skipping it or whatever, and just kind of read the verse you have and reflect upon it. Think it through. I would encourage you to pray this through. I, I suspect that for some of you, right away when you read what you've got, you're going, oh boy, that fits here. I can see that there. What would it look like to take the next couple minutes just to pray and ask God, help me to live this out. Help me to embody this, this week, in my relationships, in my interactions, in my conversations. to think about the words that God has given us. And again, to be a bit bold about it, the word that you have in your hand from Proverbs and the whole book for this week whittling down to this single verse and imagining the Spirit of God saying to you, let's slow down. Let's actually live this out this week. Let's, let's pray for my power so you can actually enflesh this this week and see how wise his wisdom is. The temptation is to skirt past it, flick it aside, I would encourage us, as graciously as I know how, to say we want to be the kind of church, the kind of people who incarnate the goodness of our King in this world, who demonstrate an alternative way of being in this world. So I can encourage you to simply sit with your verse for a few minutes and reflect upon it as we continue to worship God together.